0: This is Warrior's Way Podcast, Episode 53, and I'm James Eek. Do not forget that in whatever direction you're trying to disturb your opponent's posture, it's essential that the dynamic impulse should not be confined to your arms and legs alone, but must be, as it were, reinforced by the centrifugal force emanating from your lower abdomen. Also, in applying Kazushi, be careful not to raise your elbows without immediate action, since in that position you expose yourself to dangerous counterattack. In connection with what has been said above, I cannot do better than quote some remarks made by Mofune, 10th degree, and the late Hashimoto, 9th degree of the Kodokan, on the execution of throws. It is necessary for you to realize the importance of full use of the body mechanism from your little finger to your big toe. In this way, your power comes from the use of your weight, your abdominal muscles, and your shoulders. You must not use your arms or legs locally, but your whole body as a unit, getting your result from the abdomen or the tendon. For these results, it may be well to remind you of the importance of applying force longitudinally When pushing against something with a stick, it's very difficult to get any useful result by a lateral movement. But by a thrust along the length of a stick, all your strength can be brought into play. In Judo, this principle applies to all use of the wrists, arms, and body. Mastery of correct movement is all important in Judo. Be careful when advancing or retreating, when turning to right or left, to rest the weight of your body on the so-called leading foot. In actual practice or contest, the accepted method of movement, which in time becomes virtually automatic, is for one foot to be used as a leading foot, while the other trailing foot comes up within a few inches of the leading foot before the next step is taken. On no account should your feet be brought very close together or crossed. And be careful to bring up your trailing foot not too close to your leading foot before your leading foot is taken the next step. Neglect of these precautions will impair your balance. Another important point to be observed is that in movement, the feet should be very little if at all raised from the mat, but preferably slid in a manner somewhat reminiscent of a dance. And in connection with this important subject of movement, please make careful note of the following basic principle. When engaged in randori, or free practice, and your opponent tries to push you, do not push back against him. Instead, you should move backwards and try to pull him slightly more than he is pushing you, but without losing your own balance. Similarly, if your opponent is pulling you, contrive to advance against him a thought, although more rapidly than he is pulling you, but without losing your balance. Observance of this principle will facilitate your aim to break your opponent's posture or balance and thus expose him to your effective attack. Do not get discouraged if in the early stages of your practice you cannot successfully translate these principles into practice. And indeed, reflect that when you are sufficiently skillful to do so, say more often than not in practice or contest, with an opponent one degree below the Dan grade or black belt rank, you will already have qualified for the coveted black belt. Dogged patience and perseverance are just as important and necessary ingredients of your mental and moral makeup as are good health and strengthening of your purely physical equipment. For success in your study of this fascinating art and the primary object of countless repetitions of your chosen throws is to render the response to your opponent's every move virtually a reflex action one other principle should be noted unless in the very act of applying a throw hold or lock avoid tension and rigidity when grasping your opponent's lapel and sleeve in any of the natural or self-defense postures already described. To adopt a simile, your arms should serve as chains loosely connecting you with your antagonist, or as an electric cable along which his impulses and contemplated moves may be conveyed to you at the moment of their inception. If you're always afraid of being thrown, especially in Randori, and although perhaps you may, If ever on the defensive prove a difficult man to throw you can never hope by such tactics to develop into an efficient judoka with ability to throw the other fellow. In the early stages of your training it's almost inevitable that the bold essay of any new throw will expose you to the risk of a counter. Yet if you are wise you'll make light of this risk and will always go full out for every throw regardless of the consequences. Once you're satisfied that you've detected a good opening, do not resist the impulse to attack or in a bo- in boxing parlance, do not pull your punches. Tai Sabake is an important factor in the throwing process. The word is composed of two characters. The first, tai, meaning body, and the second, sabaki, meaning literally management or judgment. But in judo context, text, the expression must freely rendered as the turning movement or action of the body, which must, by a split second, precede the throw. Here, I shall quote with grateful acknowledgement from the valuable French Judo International, published under the Patronage of the French Federation of Judo, part of an explanation of this all-important principle given by the late Honda, a ninth degree of the Kodokan, as follows. In an overhead view, the line of the hips and shoulders may be likened to a bar turning about its center of gravity. If pushed at one of its ends, it will turn, and the only way to overturn is a push exactly at the center of gravity. A. If we suppose, however, that the bar is free to move and that its center can take up any desired position, not only at the middle but at either end, then by placing A outside the line of the thrust, its weakness is changed into strength. This is so for the human body. In judo, to give the maximum leverage, the turning axis for any throw is almost always at the end of the bar. This is about the shoulder or hip. The essential qualities of judo reside in the execution of throws with finesse without the expenditure of strength, joined to an irresistible rhythm. Judo is never a test of strength and endurance, but par excellence of skill. So this is from the book, The Manual of Judo, written by E.J. Harrison, and it was published in 1951. So let's just back up a bit. So in 1897, while working for a Yokohama newspaper called the Japan Herald, E.J. Harrison started training in a style of jiu known as Tenjin Shinyoru. After moving to Tokyo, though, he began training in Kodokan Judo. And then in 1911, he... E.J. Harrison became the first foreign-born person to achieve a black belt in Judo. That's pretty cool. And and, by the way, an interesting side note, E.J. Harrison also once interviewed Mark Twain in Vancouver, B.C., where Twain conducted the interview from his hotel bed, which you have to admit is a pretty cool story in itself. Here in BC, we call that a skookum story. (laughs) Harrison is an important person in martial arts history, not just for being the first foreign person to get a black belt and his unending interest in judo throughout the rest of his life, but for his writings on the art and what his accomplishments did for a slew of others. He virtually opened the door for many of those who followed in his footsteps, as well as laying the groundwork for the spread of Judo outside of the confines of Japan. And there are so many like E.J. Harrison who should be far more well-known than they are, if you ask me. If you've trained in Judo, or even in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for that matter, it is in no small part thanks to those early Western pioneers who traveled to Japan to learn and to help spread the art. And Judo, like jujitsu, jitsu they're amazing martial arts in that they teach us how to use our bodies in new and different, and to be honest, better way. You're going to learn about strategy. You're going to learn about your own power, both inner and outer. You learn not to meet force with force. You learn new ways through the physical and mental and emotional aspects of it. To improve your own life, both on and off the mats. With Jiu-Jitsu, which is so deeply related to Judo, you use the same principles as Harrison goes over for throwing someone, but you do it on the ground, which is having done both. I think that's both harder and way cooler. (laughs) In Jiu-Jitsu, you learn not to fight someone, but you learn to use jiu-jitsu against them. And when you start to realize this, it really is like a light going on. And you realize that up until that point, you've been in darkness. Using force against force simply doesn't work. Not when it comes to jiu-jitsu. Not when it comes to fighting. Not when it comes to life. Aggression, force, power, All of these things are nullified by someone who understands the power of jujitsu or this early judo and how its principles, which came from that Kodakon originally, can be used against another person. And when that happens, it is like magic. So my advice, and I'm sure it was EJ's advice too, if you haven't experienced this art yet, do it now. Get on that Google machine and find a good, actually no, find a great jujitsu school with great people and train. And honestly, your nightlife will never be the same again. And then you can thank me for it. (laughs) All right, let's go on to the question of the week. So pick up that book, by the way. It's a great read. Um... And by, honestly, someone that we all should know about. Every one of us that has done judo or does judo or does jujitsu, honestly, you should know who E.J. Harrison is. So there you go. Question of the week. Oh, this is a good one, too. I love training, but my girlfriend says I train too much. How much is too much, Mr. Eek? (laughs) Well... First of all, thanks for the question (laughs) putting me on the spot with your girlfriend. Um, Well, this is a tricky one, and don't blame me (laughs) on this. But first of all, um, if your girlfriend says you train too much, it's just because she either is feeling like she misses you or she's trying to control you, and you need to figure out which one it is. Sorry, mate um the easy thing would be to get her in the dojo and doing jiu with you now it could be something that the two of you do together and will probably make the two of you closer and you'll have something in common and you can practice together so it's kind of a win-win she can't really tell you that she's spending too much time in the dojo if she's with you um she would have a hard time saying you train too much if you're doing it together and having things to talk about together is not a bad thing. That said, you need to make sure that you have a life balance. You need to train as much as you can, but make sure that you have a life off of the mats as well. And that might be what she's saying. Maybe you train, I don't know, five days a week or six days a week, and when you're not on the mats, all you're doing is talking about jujitsu, and she doesn't do it. And yeah, you can kind of see how that could be an issue. It's easy to have training takeover. I know this myself. Especially given that it serves so many things. It can be a huge part of your social life. And you get so many rewards and needs met by it. I'd say when you're starting out, if you can train once or twice a week, that's great. As time goes on, you know, you can add a day or two in there to get more benefits from the training. But you have to make sure everything's balanced. You don't want to miss work or meals or ruin your friendships or any of your obligations due to your training. You do, though, want to get as much time on the mats as you can. So there's the conundrum. How much? I'd say when you're first starting, like I said, twice a week, that'll do. But then as time goes on, try to add some more. Eventually, you might be you might want to do it five days a week. And you can fit that in, especially if your girlfriend is coming with you. Or, yes, your boyfriend. Um, to be honest, I'm the worst person to ask this question because... I'm on the mats at least five days a week. I rarely take a break. I live and breathe my training, and it's been that way all my life. But I'm rare that way. Most people come to training later in life. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Uh, So it's a little bit different for me. It is kind of the cornerstone of my being. But when you come later in life, it's something that people do for fun or they do it for as, as an outlet my life is my training and my training is my life so it's a little different so you're maybe asking them asking the wrong guy especially if you came to this just recently but you need to figure out what your training means to you and how you can integrate it into your life in a way that works for you and all the things in your life That said, I'd still try to get your girlfriend training. That is the easy button way out of your situation and onto something way better, believe me. And you know what? She's probably going to find that she loves jujitsu too. Um, Because, yeah, I think that jujitsu is super important and it will only make you a better person. So, there you go. Get her training. (laughs) Or at least take her out for dinner and a movie sometimes. All right. And I think that's where we'll end it for another podcast episode. Um, Thank you very much for tuning in. If this is your first time, Um, give a listen to the other ones, see what you think. And if you like these podcasts, please... Give it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening to it. And if you could, give it a review. You know those review things, like you click on it and then you can actually type words. You usually have to scroll a bit. (laughs) Um, Those things help. Um, And then the other thing, of course, is let all of your friends, your enemies, your colleagues, everybody know about it. Because the more people that listen to what we are trying to do here in getting the most from our training and our lives, um, the better that this podcast will be. And it's already got more legs than I ever imagined. I realized today that it was a year ago that I started this podcast. And I never thought that I would get as many listens on this thing as is, is, has happened. We're well over 10,000 listens already. Um, and that's all because of you guys. So thank you very much for all of you who've been listening all this time. For the newer folks, thanks for tuning in and spread the word. Um, and for all of you social media types, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, the Instagram account is the eek academy and i post up there for my martial arts school but i also post stuff there for the podcast and to be honest for my life because i don't have 50 different accounts <laughs> um, you can also find the eek academy of martial arts on facebook you can find warriors way podcast on facebook um we also have a warriors way podcast website um, that I've been posting a bunch of stuff on. So you can find some uh, some interesting stuff to read there. And I'll keep posting stuff on that as time goes on. Um, and then the last thing is. If you like what all these podcasts are about. Um, you know what? Like this thing is kind of totally free. So <laughs> why not uh, give me the thumbs up by picking up a copy of one of my books. What? Books, yeah, books. Um, I've written a, a few books, uh, two on the martial arts and training. Uh, one is called The Warrior's Way, surprise, surprise. And the other is A Wolf in the Woods, which I still have to get around to doing a podcast on. It was about an actual uh, run-in I had out here in beautiful British Columbia when I was out for a hike and got into a fight with a wolf in the woods. Interesting thing that I don't recommend for, well, for anyone. Um, Anyhow, and on that cliffhanger kind of note, get out there. Have fun, train hard, be a good friend, and live a great life. Thanks.